opens up the way of life for his people. That is why when the Israelites entered the land of Canaan, each tribe was given its own territory. And within that territory, each family was given its own plot of land, its own inheritance. There they could grow their crops and tend their animals. This inheritance would belong to those families throughout their generations. That was even the case after the exile. When some of the Israelites returned from Babylon and other countries, many of those people went back to the same land which their family had had throughout the generations from the time that they came first into the land of Canaan. The right to one's own inheritance was such a sacred right that even if a family would fall on hard times, that then it would be difficult or almost impossible to dispossess a family from its property. It happened, for example, that a family would be forced to sell their property because of hardships, due to debts incurred because of crop failure or because of illness or because of other causes. But that family always retained the first option to buy the land back at a later date. If that was not possible in the immediate future, then during the year of Jubilee, which occurred each 50th year, the land would automatically go back to the family that originally owned the land. But the Lord also provided for the fact that the family would not have to go hungry in the meantime. For during the time that they were without land, the Lord decreed that a dispossessed family should have access to an interest-free loan. That is what it says in Leviticus 25, verse 35 and 36. It says there, if one of your countrymen becomes poor and is unable to support himself among you, help him as you would an alien or a temporary resident so he can continue to live among you. Do not take interest of any kind from him, but fear your God so that your countrymen may continue to live among you. That is the way it treated the poor and the needy in Israel. The Lord does not mean that you cannot charge interest under different circumstances. If the loaned money is to be used, for example, to set up a business or other such things, no, the Lord says that we may not take advantage of another person's misfortune. Israel also included the year of release, which was different from the year of Jubilee. The year of release occurred once every seven years, instead of once every 50 years. Every seventh year, all the debts would be canceled, and all the slaves would be set free. In the same year, the land would be allowed to lay fallow, so that the soil could have its rest and the poor could eat of the crop which grew there naturally. The purpose of all this was for God to show how much he cared for his covenant people, also through the care that they are to show to each other. It is God's way of showing compassion to his people, compassion to the weak and the needy. He forbids any exploitation of one's neighbor, each person has its own dignity. The handicapped, the bankrupt, the sick, and the needy 
no one is allowed to exploit the weakness and the miserable circumstances of another person. Ultimately, God is the one who gives man his possession. It belongs to him in the first place. That same principle is also at work today. Of course, during the time of the New Testament, the law no longer applies to the particular situation in which the Israelites found themselves during their time as agrarian people. Now we have to do with people whose income is derived from much different sources. But the basis of the law remains the same. We are to use our earthly goods for the well-being of our neighbor so that he too can serve his creator in a dignified manner. And who is more our neighbor than our brother or sister in the Lord. Ultimately, the Eighth Commandment, as do all the other commandments, goes back to the time in paradise. At that time, the Lord made a covenant with man. He told man that he could enjoy his whole creation. In Genesis 2, we read how rich that creation was. Pure water flowed through the Garden of Eden. The food was in abundance and totally satisfying. Adam and Eve could eat from the trees the Lord had planted to their heart's content. But all that food and drink did not belong to them. It all belonged to the Lord. And yet what happened? Adam and Eve sinned. And with the fall of the sin, they clearly transgressed the Eighth Commandment. For they took something that did not belong to them. They took the fruit of which the Lord God had clearly said they should not take. Adam had the abundance of the Garden of Eden to eat from, yet he was still not satisfied. He wanted more. He became greedy. And so he stole. And we ended. Adam and Eve did not want to acknowledge at that moment when they took of the fruit of the tree that everything belongs to the Lord God. And that he is the one who feeds and nourishes his children with abundance, with every good thing. And you see, brothers and sisters, that was Adam and Eve's great sin. And today we have to be careful that we do not fall back into that same sin of Adam. For look at what the Lord God does for each one of us. Do any of us have to worry? Where are you in debt at the moment? Is there anybody here that goes hungry? There isn't. Yet, we always want more different things. However, God wants us to be satisfied with those things that he provides for us. We have to be thankful. Thankful for the fact that God feeds us and that he takes care of us in so many wonderful ways. For we do not deserve any of it. Through the fall into sin and through our actual sin, we have squandered our birthright. Only through the Son of God, through the Lord Jesus Christ, are we given back our original position as children of God. In that sense, the same principles again apply as did before the fall into sin. Before the fall into sin, Adam worked in the Garden of Eden, not so wonderfully. 
No. He worked in the Garden of Eden because he had been given us food already. And the same thing is true today. So let me ask you, why do you work? Do you work so that you can bring bread on the table? Do you work in order to increase your position here in life? If that is the case with you, then you're going to be very disappointed. And then you had better think again about the true meaning of the Eighth Commandment. For the basis of the Eighth Commandment is not that we work in order to acquire, but in order to use God's gifts for the benefit and well-being of our fellow man. Remember the Lord's Prayer. We are taught to pray that the Lord give us our daily bread. We're not praying for the bread that we have to earn. No, the Lord must give that to us because he promised that to us. That, of course, doesn't mean that we don't have to work for it. But we work not in order to eat, but we eat in order to work. That is the way it is for you and for me as God's children. It's completely the other way around for the people of the world. As Christians, we conduct our lives in accordance with our confession that our help is in the name of the Lord. And that is the confession we make every Sunday, twice. Without Him, we have nothing. We acknowledge Him alone. And so we work out of thankfulness for Him. And if that is the basis of our work, then He will also bless our work. Then our labor is done out of love for the Father who has given us a task in life. He has made us stewards over His creation. What a wonderful thing that He has given us a task perform in this world. Every one of you has a task. Even when you're old and severely restricted in your movements, then you still have a task to perform. Well, what is the task of everyone here? What is your task, children of the congregation? It is to glorify God in everything you say and in everything you do. That is the task that God gives you. And that is why a Christian may never grumble about the work that he has given man to do, even if it seems to be only an insignificant task. For the Lord God, there is no such thing as an insignificant task. Every job that you are given is significant and important. Even if it is putting out the garbage. The Lord has entrusted each one of us with our own particular duties on earth. And he has given us each our own talents in this earth. And he wants us to use our tasks, whatever that is, to the utmost of our ability. Know well that Adam could not perform this task as he shared over all creation by himself. The Lord gave him a wife to help him. God created man to carry out his task on earth in cooperation with 
of together we glorify God on earth. And that includes our neighbor. That is when we say our faith. When we fall into sin, all that changed. We come to the second point. Now mankind came into competition with each other. It became man's nature to acquire as many earthly goods for himself as he could. And he does not want to pay the cost of being a child of God because man, by nature, is selfish. He wants the best of both worlds. He wants to serve God and he wants to serve mammon. And that is why the Lord Jesus wanted to warn the multitude when he spoke to them. In the passage that we read together, he addressed the people about the cost of following him. He told them, it may cost you your freedom. You may be imprisoned. The world will reject you. And then in the midst of his address, someone interrupts him and says to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. You see, this man is on a completely different wavelength than the Lord Jesus. These men live in their earthly possessions. While the Lord Jesus is speaking to them about their heavenly this man had a legitimate issue. It could be that he was being shortchanged by his brother. It could be that because of the greedy ways of his brother, he was all but disinherited. Money can make things do funny things, even to very close relatives. Such things happen all the time. It happens also in our circle. There's one thing that can really cause divisions in family. It is the partition of an inheritance. Battles about money can be very vicious and cause great bitterness and anger and sometimes last a lifetime. Now note well that the Lord Jesus does not really want to get involved in the issue. He says to him, the man who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you, this man cries out for justice. He demands from the Lord Jesus to give him his rights. He is convinced that his rights have been violated. And he wants assistance from the Lord Jesus in pressuring his brother into granting him his rights. But the Lord Jesus all but ignores this man's plea. He refuses to help him. Now, we should all be able to identify with this man. For wouldn't we be upset if a sibling cheated us out of our inheritance? And yet as we read this passage, of course we condemn this man because that's also what the Lord Jesus does. But are we any different than the man who was questioning the Lord Jesus? Are we not also inclined to stand up for our rights first? We also get angry and upset when we think that we have gotten the short end of the stick. And so let's not be too surprised at this man's indignation. It is really bothering him. He could think of nothing else that consumed him. By asking the rhetorical question about who designated him as the divider and judge, Lord Jesus is making this statement that he did not come to deal with the material world. Not that that's unimportant. But he did not come to divide people, 
but he came to reconcile them, to reconcile them to God. He wants this man and all of us to think on a higher plane. And so he says to him, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. What was this man's problem? This man's problem was that he wanted to take out of life whatever he could, at least so it seems. He was so busy with his material possessions that it consumed him, and everything else was secondary. He didn't even hear what the Lord Jesus was saying. He was not happy with the things that he already had, but he was looking for the things that he didn't have and that he thought he had a right to. And that's how it is with materialistic people. Such people are never satisfied. They always want more. They always want to see what others have. And they also want that. As I said earlier, the sin against the Eighth Commandment started just like all the others already in paradise. Adam was not satisfied with what he had. He had everything that he could possibly ever need and then some. He had an abundance of food and, and a great variety of it. The Lord had also given him a wife. And he had given him the most exalted position in all of God's creation. And yet Adam wanted more. He wanted to be like God. And so he stole. He stole from God. He stole that fruit of that one tree that he was not allowed to eat from. Dissatisfaction. Rashi. also our fate ever since Adam fell into his sin in paradise. We too have become thieves. Brothers and sisters, the Lord has given you and me much. He doesn't require much in return. He gives us many things to enjoy. showing your life that to you and all that you have belongs to the Lord? At one time, the Lord Jesus said, what good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world, yet forfeits his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? Matthew 16, 26. The Catechism tells us not only what he forbids, but also what he requires. We must share point. For it says in answer 111 that I must promote my neighbor's good wherever I can and may, deal with him as I would like others to deal with me. Well, of whom are we reminded here, brothers and sisters? Does that not remind us of the Lord Jesus Christ himself? It says in chapter 2 of Paul's letter to the Philippians that he allowed himself to be robbed of the glory that he had with his father. Why did he do that? He did that for your sake. He did that for my sake. He did that so that he could promote, could promote our good. Think about it. What did the Lord Jesus do? They stripped him naked and they nailed him to a cross. Soldiers cast dice and robbed him of everything that he had, including his life. 
one more. Our Lord Jesus has also fulfilled this commandment for our sake. That's a good thing, isn't it? He loved his neighbor as himself with everything that he had. Not a moment while he was on earth did he live for himself. Never once did he seek himself. He denied himself to the bitter end. Because while Christians, that means that we are like Christ. At least we're supposed to be like him. And yet how often have we not taken that which does not really belong to us? Christ never did that. He gave back to the Father what man had stolen from God. And he bore the punishment of God for our transgressions, also the transgressions of this commandment. He did not take. He gave. He gave everything. He gave his life. Now let me ask you again, how is that with you? Because I'm asking myself the same question. Are you in the habit of only wanting to take and not to share, to give? To your children, to your neighbors, to your banker, to your accountant? See from your actions, from the way you handle your possessions, Everything that you have. What does your work always see, for example? When he looks at the contribution list, too often the ward elder is made aware that one of his sheep is giving something or hardly anything to the church. That's sad. It's sad especially because that is a spiritual gift, not a financial gift. Do you think that only the rich should pay? That others should pay for the maintenance of the ministry of the word? Brothers and sisters, I'll say it again. It's not about money, but it is about spiritual health. When we refuse to give so much as even 10% to God's church and his cause and his kingdom, what do I steal from God? The Lord says to Israel that he wants the first fruits of our lives, not our leftovers. And so when we covetously hoard our possessions and we give God triple of our leftovers, then we are stealing from God. Maybe the boys and girls have never heard this story. But let me tell it. There was once a little girl who had 10 pennies given to her. She came to her mom and said, this penny, <clears throat> first penny, is for Jesus. And this penny, mom, is for you. And this penny is for daddy. And she went on that way and she gave away all her pennies. And then she got to the last penny and said, and this penny is for Jesus. Mom said, but you gave the first penny to Jesus already. Don't you remember? And then the little girl said, yes, I remember, Mommy. The first one belonged to him, but the second one I'm giving to him. I wonder when we are tempted to be stealing from God financially, can we instead think of this girl and follow that little girl's example? 
Christian. Everything belongs to God. We owe everything to Him. The Catechism ends with some very fitting words. It says that we must work patiently. Not so that I can lay up treasures for myself. Not so that I can buy myself an expensive gift. Not so that I can pay off my mortgage. No, what does it say? So that I may be able to give to those in need. Brothers and sisters, the Lord God has freed you and me. He has has freed us from slavery. He has freed us from slavery to sin. He has freed you and me from slavery to our possessions. This world is full of slaves. This world is very anxious to serve their master, money. But their master is a very hard taskmaster. Their master is very unpredictable. Their master is also very unreliable. Their master always keeps them guessing. But we as God's congregation do not serve that kind of a master, do we? We serve the Lord. Our master is very predictable. Our master is very reliable. And he never keeps you guessing. And you know exactly who he is. And you know exactly what he does. And you know exactly what he gives you as well. And so what is your attitude towards your earthly possessions? Do you use them just for yourself or for the Lord? Today and tomorrow and the rest of this week and the rest of the year, think about that all the days of your life. The answer will indicate whether or not you live for the Lord or whether you live for yourself. Amen.